and turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, picking up where we last left off a number of weeks ago, actually. As we consider this, let me just remind you of, of where we've been most recently in the book of Mark. We, uh, if you'll recall, that Jesus had commissioned his disciples to go and to preach the gospel and to carry his message forth. And as he did that, they carried with them his authority over demons and over disease. And this text that's before us is, is another of, of Mark's interludes where he seems to pause in the narrative and give us something, a lesson. Um, and in this case, it's, it's an interesting lesson. It's a historical lesson, but it also teaches us about two important characters of the New Testament. Remember that we said at the very beginning, as we were thinking about Mark, that there's really three big questions that Mark forces us to grapple with, and, and, and he answers, and he, he kind of circles around these questions, if you will. The first one is, who is Jesus? Secondly, what, is, what did he come to do? And thirdly, what does it mean to follow him? So, if you're here tonight and don't know Jesus, and, and you're wondering what he's all about, then look right here. Look to his word because you read and you learn about him in that. And as we look at this text, we see in this text, uh, beginning with verse 14, we see a beautiful and yet sobering and somewhat startling contrast between two men. One, John the Baptist, who paid the ultimate cost of discipleship, and one who refused to be a follower of Christ and instead was enslaved to his passions. And I want to thank Pastor Greco for setting up this sermon so well this morning because as I listened to this morning's message, I realized that John the Baptist beautifully exemplifies one who was truly a slave to righteousness. And on the other hand, King Herod is one who sadly gives us a, a, a vivid example of one who was a slave to sin. So let us pause and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word, and then we will read this text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and we pray that tonight that it would go in cutting and come out cutting. Lord, and I pray that You would remove the dross from our hearts, and Lord, if there's any here that do not know You, that this might be the day of their salvation. Lord, that they would see in these two men an example to follow, and one whom they, from whom they should flee. Lord, we ask your blessing, and we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. Mark 6, beginning with verse 14. <clears throat> King Herod heard of it, meaning the, the spread of what the disciples have been doing over the last weeks or months, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised." For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. 
And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous man and a holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. We praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. We live today in a day of scandal, it seems. Uh, Certainly after just having marked the elections uh, where we elected many officials to office, it seemed that scandals were... Uh, front and center sometimes when it comes to an election season. Sometimes we wonder if that's maybe because of the media's need to fill up 24 hours a day news. Perhaps it's because we love scandalous politics, and perhaps it's maybe just because there's so few men of character running for office. It's easy to read of men with no moral compass who fall into grievous sin, and this text is no exception. It tells us of a powerful man an adulterous marriage, a scandalous dance, and a murder to silence the prophet of God who preached against sin. And interestingly, this text is not so much about Jesus, not directly about Christ. and Instead, it gives us the somewhat gruesome details of the death of our Lord's cousin and forerunner, John the Baptist. But it's more than that. It also gives us a window into a man's soul who was rich He was powerful, he got whatever he wanted, and yet this man, Herod, was a slave to his passions. King Herod learned to ignore and sear his conscience to the point that later when he stood before Christ himself, he was unmoved because his day of opportunity had passed. And because this is primarily about John the Baptist and Herod, I really want to look at it in in light of those two men and first dealing with John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, with Herod, who he was, and kind of under three categories, sinner, seeker, and slave, and then the contrast with the life and the sterling example of John the Baptist and how he followed Christ to the death. First, we want to start with King Herod, and it's interesting that Mark calls him a king, for he technically was not a king. He was the son of Herod the Great. He was a tetrarch, which means a a ruler of a fourth of of the kingdom. And perhaps it's with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek that Mark, writing many years after Christ's ministry, um, calls him a king because later we read, or or Josephus tells us, I think it is, that, that, um, that Herod tried to take that 
that title on. And it ended up earning him um, the, the privilege of being banished to Gaul. And he died in Spain and was not, you know, he, was, he kind of died in shame because he tried to take that title on when it really was not him. He was a ruler, yes. He was a ruler of Galilee and, and Perea. His father was Herod the Great, as we said. And Herod the Great, if you'll recall, was the Herod that tried to kill the infants in Palestine. And he died when Jesus, as a child, was in Egypt. And so, here is the son of Herod the Great, whose kingdom was divided. And then Herod Antipas is who we're talking about this evening, the tetrarch of the land of Galilee and Perea. So we think of him, and, and certainly it's easy to see that Herod was a sinner. This text, we could, we could list his sins easily, but the sin that is highlighted in our text is that of adultery. Herod had not only taken his brother's wife, but some commentators have, have thought that perhaps Herodias was even his niece, so this marriage was not just adulterous, it po- quite possibly was incestuous as well. It was sinful in so many levels. It violated the Levitical laws. His, his marriage was, it, it, it was, in a sense, it was sinning with a high hand. Because here was the leader of the Jewish people that, that seemed to, commentators have said that he sometimes would celebrate Passover. He wanted to be seen as a Jew, and yet he, he just seemed to kind of thumb his nose at God's law because he was taking what he wanted in taking his brother's wife. Herod, of course, was not the first or the last man recorded in Scripture as being an adulterer. We read this morning in the, in the time in God's Word of David taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his own mighty men, and he sought to cover that sin. He tried to get Uriah to come home and and be with his wife, so her pregnancy would be assumed to be where he would be assumed to be the father of the child that she had conceived. And yet Uriah refused to do that out of faithfulness to his, his men and to his leaders. But when David was confronted with the law of God by Nathan the prophet, he was humbled to the dust. And we read of his repentance in Psalm 51. He repented of his sin of adultery. And in this text this evening, we read that God sent a prophet to Herod as well. John the Baptist boldly spoke what others were perhaps afraid to say to this ruler. He said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod, you're living in sin. You're violating God's law. Just as John the Baptist calls the masses to repentance in the wilderness of Judea in the early verses of of this book, here he calls this ruler to repentance. Herod was a sinner, and this unusual prophet, this locust-eating prophet, calls him to repentance. But did Herod repent? No. However, he, he seems to want to appear to be a seeker. Now, what do I mean by a seeker? I don't necessarily mean a true seeker of the truth and a true seeker of the way that Christ taught But he did, however, seem to be interested in John's message. He was intrigued by John the Baptist. He wanted to hear him, but yet he didn't heed the word that John gave him. Our text tells us that he put John in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife, 
who was now his, his wife, Herod's wife. Perhaps this was to protect John from Herodias because she, she hated John. She wanted him dead, the text tells us. And it's this somewhat interesting and strange relationship between this Roman ruler and this rugged prophet of God that we see the conscience of Herod on display. Now, we don't hear a lot about conscience these days, but we really get a window into the conscience of Herod here. The conscience could be defined as a person's moral awareness or moral consciousness. It's that inner moral awareness that alerts us when we have violated a standard of right and wrong. Our conscience must be informed by God's Word because that is where we find the true standard of right and wrong. It must be conformed to the law of God, He who is the embodiment of righteousness and truth. A rightly informed conscience helps us to see sin as sin. And Herod's conscience was informed by the prophet of God. He knew what was right and wrong. John made it abundantly clear to him what his sin was. And yet, here is a man with a troubled conscience. He wants his sin, and he wants to hear the message at the same time. What a paradox. The text doesn't tell us exactly where these events happened, but, but historians tell us that it occurred in a desert palace that Herod had built called Macarius. And it's said that there's dungeons there that, that like was, is likely where John the Baptist was. I remember, I think it was a children's storybook Bible from my youth where I, where I saw a picture of John preaching to Herod. And as it was portrayed in this book, he is chained to bars, and he is straining at the chains and preaching at the top of his lungs, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And as a child, I imagined his words reverberating through that palace. I don't know if that's true or not, because our text actually tells us that, that, he, um, that he wanted to hear Herod, or Herod wanted to hear John the Baptist. So maybe he even went down into the dungeon to talk to him. For whatever reason, Herod, probably for some strange reason, seemed to try to appease his consciousness with the message. Yet he was not willing to give up his sin. It says that he heard him gladly. But verse 20 says that Herod feared John at the same time. Now, why do you suppose he feared John? This man that was so great, this man who was a ruler, this man with all the power, the influence, the riches, who got whatever he wanted. He wanted his brother's wife. He took her. Yet he feared this rugged prophet of God. Well, Herod was perplexed with John. He respected him. John made it crystal clear what his convictions were. John was a man of conviction. Herod was a cowardly man of circumstance. John spoke fearlessly. Herod lived in fear, probably fear of his wife, fear of his image, fear of what people thought, fear of likely being out of favor with Roman officials. He respected John. Secondly, though, and closely tied to the first, was that John was a man of God. Herod knew that John lived a life of godliness and knew God intimately. 
The reason is the same that Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe because John Knox feared God. Now, this fear that Herod showed was not the fear of service and worship to God. No, unfortunately, Herod was not a true seeker. He only appeared to be interested out of amusement and out of a desire to salve his guilty conscience that tormented him. And I wonder if that's true for some in our churches today. Are you genuinely seeking God, or are you merely coming to church to ease your conscience, attempting to make yourself feel better about things that you know are not in line with God's Word? Herod appeared to be a seeker. He liked to hang around John. John made him feel good, made him feel better about himself somehow. He found him interesting perhaps amusing. But ultimately, he was not a true seeker. He was a slave to his sin. This text vividly and even awkwardly and uncomfortably shows us the slavery that Herod had to his sin. I'll again remind you of the message this morning that the human understanding of freedom is skewed because Herod thought that he was free He got what he wanted for his birthday. He wanted a big birthday party. Sumptuous food, plenty of wine, and all the importance of officials from Galilee. All the generals were there. If if this did occur in the desert as, as historians think it did, these men probably traveled for days to get to this birthday party. After they had enjoyed considerable wine, the daughter of Herodias came in to dance. We don't read of any women being there. This was a men only event. The dance was probably highly seductive and sensual. We don't want to dwell upon that except to say that what Scripture says, that it pleased Herod and his guests. Their drunken lustfulness was fueled by this dance, and Herod was no doubt enjoying the dance as well as the fact that he was impressing his guests. And after she finished the dance, the young woman stood before Herod and said, and Herod boastfully said, Ask for anything you want, even up to half the kingdom. She slipped away to confer with her evil mother, who found the opportunity she had been waiting for, and asked for the head of John the Baptist. The woman came back and added a little of her own flair, saying, I want you to give me at once, she added, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What a gruesome thought. These words cut like a knife into the heart of Herod. Suddenly he was sober. Suddenly the wine didn't seem to have the effect upon him. As he thought about this man who salved his conscience, and he was faced with the decision of taking this man's life or risking the embarrassment of not keeping his word before these men that he so wanted to impress. What had he done? What could he do now? And even though John's words tormented him. He knew that John spoke the truth. We're not surprised to see what he does because we see the kind of man that Herod is and was. This man who had grown so good at ignoring his own conscience sends the executioner to behead John the Baptist. Our text tells us that he was sorry, but he was not sorry enough to follow what he knew was right. Ultimately, Herod was a slave to his sin While he saw himself as free to choose sin as he pleased, eventually his sin mastered him. 
As we learned this morning, sin leads to more sin, and this was certainly the case for Herod. Secondly, and honestly, more refreshingly, we think about John the Baptist, who, whose life ended so gruesomely, yet what a man, what an example for us of one who followed Christ. Scripture doesn't point to his sinfulness. In fact, it says that John the Baptist was, when the angel announced his coming, it said that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Yet, John the Baptist knew his position. He knew he was a humble man. He pointed to Christ. He knew his job was all about introducing Jesus. And Jesus even said this about him. He said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist's message was continually that he must decrease and that Christ must increase. He pointed to Christ. He felt unworthy, saying he wasn't even worthy to take Christ's sandals loose and remove them from his feet, the lowest job of a servant. John was definitely one who was a true seeker, one who truly sought to glorify Christ and submit to his rule and authority. His interaction with his cousin Jesus was brief, yet vitally important as he went out in the spirit of the Old Testament prophet Elijah, ushering in the coming of the Messiah. John was a seeker, and he was a servant, and he was a slave to righteousness. What a contrast he is to Herod. Herod was unstable. John was unswerving. Herod was vacillating. John was vociferous in calling Herod to repentance. Herod ignored his conscience, which should have led him to repentance. John followed his convictions, which eventually and ultimately led to his death. And what was the end of Herod? We've already noted that he spent his final years in exile because he tried to usurp power that was not his. But what of his soul? Our text tells us that here he is... It seems to be that he's terrified at the ministry of Jesus because it so parallels the ministry of John. The message that Christ preached of repentance was so similar to John's clarion call of repentance. And just as he was perplexed at John, he was perplexed at the ministry of Christ. But again, it wasn't enough for him to repent. And in our Lord's final hours before his crucifixion, we read that Jesus came before this same Herod because Pilate saw him, realized that he he came from Galilee, and he said, oh, wait a minute, that's Herod's jurisdiction. So he sent him over to Herod. And then Luke 23 tells us when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Those are shocking words because it almost seems like he is, he is looking at him as some kind of miracle man, something that would just do a few tricks for him. It says he questioned him. Verse 9 says he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And this is rather curious. It says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Jesus didn't answer Herod's questions that day because Herod had hardened his heart and really wasn't interested in Christ or his message or knowing what he was about. He didn't care about submitting to his rule and teaching. 
And Jesus didn't answer him. And if you're ignoring your conscience tonight, there will come a day when Christ will not answer your call. This is a sobering message. It's uncomfortable for us. But there's lessons here for us. One is that, just what Pastor Greco said this morning, that sin is never stagnant. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay, as the old saying goes. Herod's sins were progressively worse, and that's the nature of sin. We need to remember that unconfessed sin hardens the heart against the message of the gospel. And if this describes you tonight, I issue to you the call that John the Baptist gave again and again, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen and believe the gospel. John the Baptist shows us the ultimate cost of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? That third question that we talked about that Mark deals with. Well, Jesus said in Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For all of us, following Jesus means that we must be willing to die if it comes to that. But Christ gives us something to die for. And he, helps, he gives us something to truly live for. As well. Christ died to provide a way of salvation. He calls you and I to follow him tonight. And if you are not part of his family, I invite you to hear the free offer of the gospel. Come to Christ, repent, and trust in him for salvation. Let us pray.